check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Anna Geiger here from The Measured Mom. Today, we welcome Dr. Karen Dudick-Brannan. She is a licensed speech-language pathologist and SLP who also has a doctorate in special education. In today's episode, she talks to us about the role of an SLP in a school and how an SLP can work with teachers and other team members to help students who struggle with language comprehension. And finally, how SLPs and teachers can help all students with language comprehension through some simple activities. Stick around to the very end because I have a special freebie for you that you'll find in the show notes. I'm excited to welcome Dr. Karen Dudick-Brannan to the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Can you talk to us about your history? You have a wide background and tell us about, you know, how you got into education and what it is you're doing now. So I guess to start at the beginning, I spent 14 years as a school SLP And during that time was getting my doctorate in special ed. When I first started, I really thought that I wanted to go into a medical setting and do things like, you know, work with patients who have had strokes and traumatic brain injuries and do the medical side of speech pathology. But those positions were a lot harder to find when you're first starting out. So I started working in a school thinking, I'll just do this for a little while and then I'm out of here. Um, And that's because the language piece for me was always really confusing in grad school. And I always felt like figuring out how to support language and vocabulary was very difficult because they're like some of the other, or unlike some of the other things that we have to do as speech pathologists, there's not one set protocol or there's not even a set protocol for figuring out how to navigate that in the school systems. And so I always felt like I was shooting from the hip. And it just, it wasn't a good feeling because I'd be working with kids and we'd get to the end of the IEPs and it's like, what did we accomplish? So that's why I decided to go back and get my doctorate because I really wanted to figure out a way to, to navigate that because I realized that when you're in the schools, that is a huge part of your caseload. It was like half of the kids on my caseload needed support with language literacy and and I didn't really know how I fit in. So during that time, I put together a framework. And so when I graduated and I was figuring out where do I want to go next with this, I, what I ended up doing is that I started creating my own products and started taking all the research that I did in language literacy, metacognition, and put it together into my own course where I have programs and services for speech pathologists and other members of the IEP team that want to support language and literacy. So now really what I focus on is, you know, I have one aspect of my my business and my, my services where I give speech pathologists and other professionals who really want to support language and literacy a framework for doing that intervention and kind of fitting into the process. And then I also have some other things that I do because really it's a team effort and everybody has to be on the same page. A lot of times people realize this is great and this is what I do when I have students in front of me, but I also have to get everybody on board. And so that's why I have some other things focused on literacy and executive functioning as well. So that kind of brings us up to date to what I'm doing now. 
which it all sounds very complex. So let's back up. I have a lot of people that email me and say, you know, they, re they reply to my welcome email to my newsletter and tell me they're an SLP. And I don't know a whole lot about SLPs and their job. I taught in very small schools that didn't have big support staff. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us about what exactly an SLP is and what they do and how they can help teachers? Yeah, so in the school systems, I know that a lot of SLPs struggle to figure out what their role is because we are trained in more of a medical model where it's, you know, here is a student and, or a client or a patient, and I'm going to evaluate them and put, give them this treatment plan. That's very medical. You know, we're going to therapy, we're addressing this, this particular issue. And so when SLPs come into the school setting, a lot of times they have to figure out how to take what they know and fit it into the way things work in the schools. I was a member of the problem solving team where if there was an issue with a student, like if they were, for example, not making progress in reading, the team would have to figure out what do we do for this student. And so sometimes that would involve giving the teacher some strategies to do in the classroom. But after we would do a certain set of interventions, a lot of times it was, okay, the student isn't making adequate progress. We need to do an evaluation. And so if we were doing a special ed evaluation, a lot of times the psychologist, social worker, um, the special ed teacher, and the speech pathologist would be involved because if a student is not making adequate progress academically, a lot of times language is a factor. And so a lot of the students that I would evaluate, the teacher would be saying things like, you know, when they're trying to explain a word, they, they can't find the right word. So they're, I'm giving them directions and they they can't keep up with them they seem like they're not understanding me they're giving me that deer in headlights look where they're they're not really sure what's going on or a lot of times that would come out with in the early grades they're just not making progress with those literacy concepts like phonics and um, but then in the later grades a lot of times they would be behind on some of those things but also we would see those comprehension issues where you know students would read something and then they would have no idea how what happened they couldn't answer a question about it and so the class is moving along and having these discussions and the students aren't making progress there so the other members of the team do need to be involved there because um, you know again the special ed teacher might be involved in teaching spelling and reading and then the psychologist has to look at some different things as well but the speech pathologist can address that language component which can really impact Obviously, there's a huge impact on reading, but it can impact all of the academic areas. The thing that a lot of people think of when they think of a speech pathologist is um, they're, a student is hard to understand and they're not pronouncing their sounds the right way or they're stuttering. But really, that language piece was huge. That was a big part of my caseload where I had to do a lot of education with the people I worked with, because if I didn't, then I would just be getting refers for, uh, referrals for kids who just couldn't say R or S, which of course is yeah. part of what you would do, but not the whole thing. Thank you. That is really helpful because I think I I just thought of SLPs as speech therapist. Um, yeah. And when I've mostly just thought about, you know, helping kids pronounce words correctly, but you're telling us that's just a small piece and there's this huge, mm -hmm. huge yeah. area of language, which is very overwhelming for teachers to know what to do about because, you know, we know the simple view of reading, uh, word recognition times language comprehension equals reading comprehension. And we know what goes in the word recognition part. We know how to teach phonemic awareness and phonics. But the oral language is so huge. There's just mm -hmm. so much. So could you maybe break it down for us a little bit and talk about 
what language skills kids need to be successful readers and writers? Yeah, and that's honestly the simple view of reading is it's a really good framework for teachers because it's it's broader and it again it's simple but if you're going to figure out specifically what to do you do need to drill down a little bit more like Scarborough's reading rope that's a very good framework again that is a lot more complicated than the simple Mm -hmm. view of reading but it's very helpful as far as just being evidence-based But the most helpful framework that I have found was from an article by an author um, named Linda Kukin, where she broke it down into five areas. And that is what I have based a lot of my work on when I give people an actual framework for, for addressing this. And so this is something that I teach SLPs. I would not say that SLPs are the only ones that can address this, but it's you know, again, it's a framework that you can use to start making some of those decisions about who's doing what. So if a student doesn't know what a word means and they don't have that topic knowledge, then the whole story isn't going to make sense. So if like if you're trying to figure out what does this word mean, what does this word mean in one sentence and you can't understand those individual words, then your comprehension is going to suffer. We need to understand about 90 to 95 percent of the words in a text to have solid comprehension. So that's the first element in why vocabulary is so important. But when we think about vocabulary, there's it's kind of this broad umbrella area that has five elements in it. So it has things like phonology, um, morphology, um, orthography, semantics, and syntax. So phonology being our understanding of how sounds and phonemes go together to make up words. So like if you hear a sequence of sounds, you process that as a word and that that means something to you. So that impacts vocabulary. Morphology is those those parts of words. So like the prefixes and the affixes, those give us meaning as well. And and so that that gives us information about what words mean. And then orthography is understanding the print symbols. So those three elements right there, I think that a lot of the things that teachers are doing will hit those elements. Um, I do see that sometimes morphology isn't emphasized as much as it should be but with those types of things that's going to really impact the word decoding where i end up spending a lot of time with the speech pathologists that i mentor is the semantics and the syntax piece because a lot of times that's what's missing so it's not that i feel like this is the only thing that slp should be doing it's just that when i kind of look at what's going on, these are usually the missing pieces. So semantics would be your real, your deep understanding of what words mean, like their attributes. Um, like when you think of the word dog, you think animal, you think fuzzy, you think of all the things that a dog would do or that you can do with a dog. And so those are pieces of information that you kind of attach to that. And as we're exposed to words, we're kind of fine tuning that. So it fine tunes our semantic knowledge. Um, that's going to improve our ability to just remember, have like a really solid understanding of what words mean beyond just, you know, memorizing definitions for tests and things like that. That's kind of a shallow understanding because when we have that deeper understanding, we see it in different contexts in a text that's going to help us to just understand the big picture. And then the final thing is syntax. And that is just understanding how sentences are structured. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that syntax goes along with vocabulary is because it's not just about 
knowing what words mean. It's also about knowing what words do. So things like nouns, verbs, and adjectives, those are the content words in the sentence. And a lot of times kids who struggle with language will pay attention to the content words, but they won't pay attention to the function words like yep. conjunctions. Conjunctions are huge because those are what helps us to join clauses together and use more complex sentences. And so when students, the, just the syntax doesn't make sense to them, they miss out on key pieces of meaning and that causes their comprehension to suffer as well. So that was a very long answer to your question, but again, <laughs> it's vocabulary, big umbrella area, and then phonology, morphology, orthography, semantics, and syntax that fit under it. And again, a lot of times where I feel like I need to come in and say, hey, don't forget about this part is semantics and especially syntax, because a lot of times people kind of don't know how to address it or they're mm -hmm. just kind of missing it. But if a teacher has a child where they're concerned, like you said, they're, they're not explaining themselves well, they're just not, maybe they can decode, but they can't sound, they can't um, comprehend what they're reading. Is there a specific assessment or tool that you use to nail that down? That is a very good question. I get it like a million times every month. Um, so the quick and dirty answer is no, but there are ways that you can look into it. Um, and the way that I advise speech pathologists to look at it is that um, they need to do some kind of a formal evaluation. But the problem with formal evaluations that are norm referenced is that they're not sensitive enough to pick up on certain things. And so sometimes you might have an issue where a student actually does need support and their score might be in the average range and then they don't qualify. What I advise people to do is do kind of a portfolio approach. And so okay. be looking at writing samples, looking at reading comprehension, seeing if those things are an issue. And then something that I actually have speech pathologists um, do, which teachers can do as well, is that you can do sentence imitation and directed questions. So if you say a sentence to a student, so for example, like let's say you're reading to a student and you're asking them questions about a paragraph and they're not getting it, you could even pick a sentence that has a complex sentence structure and read that sentence and then ask a student a question about it. That could give you an idea of if they're comprehending it. Then another thing that people don't realize is that when you have a student, you say a sentence and have them repeat it back to you, people sometimes think, well, I just told them the answer. Mm -hmm. But what happens is that if you don't have a syntactic structure, a lot of times you'll re you won't remember it and be able to repeat it back. When you look at these assessment procedures in isolation, they're not very strong because they all have pros and cons about them. But when you use them together, that's where you can kind of build a stronger case. So really what I um, encourage people to do is kind of pool all their resources because the teacher would be the one that's getting that information. Like they would be getting the writing samples. They'd be getting the um, reading comprehension assessments. And so everybody can kind of pool their resources together to get that information. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to imagine I'm a classroom teacher and I have a student who doesn't understand what they read. Maybe they're in third grade or something. And I've already figured out that they can decode. So that is not the issue. Yeah. Um, so now I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I, like they just, what do I do? So I, you're saying that I need to keep a, a folder basically of all the evidence mm -hmm. that I have that there's a problem. So maybe I would write down 
specific problems the student has in classroom conversations or in personal mm -hmm. conversations with the student. I would maybe, maybe I would listen to the child or I would read to the child and I would ask about the text and I would write notes about that, about their answers and how they didn't make sense. Anything mm -hmm. else that I, any other information I could gather that would be useful? That is, I mean, all of that is, is good. I would definitely be doing all of that that you just said, but I would definitely try to, try to form an alliance with somebody else to help you out with that okay. because every school team is a little different as far as just the process that they have. So a lot of times those other people on the team might have something, some system where you can kind of work together. So that would be the thing that I would add to that because it is sometimes hard to say definitively you need to do this, this, and this. But if you do have somebody else, you can problem solve together. And another thing is that I know that sometimes if you are in a classroom where you have a special ed teacher coming in, or maybe you have the speech pathologist who's working with other students in your class, if you can start those conversations, you can kind of get a good system down to where it doesn't feel like you're starting from scratch for every student. So I would definitely take advantage of those types of things as well, in addition to just trying to do it on your own. Okay, so do you have any just little tricks and tips, like specific things that they can do in the classroom that will help everyone, in particular, these kids? Um, in addition to the things that teachers are already doing, they're doing kind of the high level, the graphic organizers, they're teaching the comprehension strategies. A skill that you can focus on and teach directly is just being able to pay attention to um, conjunctions and um, using complex sentences. So I actually teach a, a technique, so sentence combining and sentence deconstruction. So basically what you're saying is maybe not what teachers think of first, and that is to not think so much about the whole piece, but the little piece, the sentence itself, because that mm -hmm. where it could, it could be breaking down. And you could work on the sentence combining and deconstructing in the context of social studies or science, for example, right? Like you could oh, teach totally, a lesson yeah. about mm -hmm. metamorphosis and then have two sentences that are connected and then say, we're going to connect these two sentences. What's the best conjunction that and then talk about how you would choose and, but, or so, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So any any specific things that you would say for teachers when it comes to just vocabulary in terms of word meanings? I know that it just feels so overwhelming because obviously there's tens of thousands of words. Any yeah. Any good tips for that? Something specific that teachers can model um, is just the whole concept of definition syntax and figuring out what the defining feature of a word is. If it's a noun, that would be categorical information. And, and that's the, usually the sentence, uh, the syntax is an X is a Y that Z. A dog is an animal that barks. So usually around second, third grade or so is when kids can really give you that solid definition that actually has defining features. Um, before that, usually kids will give you information that's related, but isn't really telling you what the word means. They're kind of talking around it and saying, well, it does this and it does this, but you're like, but what is it? So that's something that you can definitely embed into the work that you do in the classroom. Um, with other types of words like verbs and adjectives, the defining information is usually a synonym or sometimes an antonym. So like another word that means the same thing, mm -hmm. uh, like the word sprint. Um, sprint means to run fast. Like, so you use another word that means the same thing and then you say how you do it. What I do when I have 
um, speech pathologists who are working on that is really focusing in on that strategy of using that definition syntax for all kinds of different words, but teachers can certainly reinforce that in the classrooms as well. Yeah, so that's a way to help them frame definitions that they can remember. Yeah. Do you have any tips for us for teaching morphology? Yeah, this one is, it's, it's really interesting and um, humbling at the same time. And so my first tip would be that you don't have to be a linguist or perfectly understand all of it. Google is your friend. Expect to be in the middle of teaching something and not know the answer. Um, but yeah, I would say that what you really want to do, just like when you're teaching phonological awareness, you're drawing kids' attention to the, the sound units in words. This is just a different version of that. You are having them pay attention to the, the other, again, the other meaningful units in words. So you want to pull out the prefixes, again, the roots and the suffixes and teach kids to look for those patterns, teach them that they mean something. So you can even, just like you would, if you're segmenting for phonological awareness, you can segment for morphology as well. That's actually more efficient than trying to segment a word into phonemes when there's, you know, like the word reaction, there's three morphemes in that word, react, and then the ION at the end. So it would make more sense that if you can process that word and chunk that out, it's a lot easier mm -hmm. to, to see those three patterns as it, than it would be to, uh, you know, try to just start with the phoneme. So you can even, when you're looking at different patterns, play around with it and have a pattern that you're focusing on that day. Like if you're focusing on re-words, it's like, how many words do we have that we can come up with to have re at the beginning? Or mm -hmm. vice versa, you might have a list of words and then you're kind of pulling them apart into, into the different sound units. Um, and you don't have to know all of them. You don't have to teach every single one, but if you teach kids the awareness of there are pieces to this word, there are patterns in this word, then that's gonna help them to look for those patterns. Just knowing that they exist and knowing that they need to look for that is a strategy that they can use in their own self-talk to figure out what information to look at. Just like you would if you were working with semantics and teaching kids definitions, it's like, okay, where's the categorical information? Where's the relevant information to look at? I wanna tell everyone who's listening that there are tools for you to help teach morphology. It's, I don't think it's as scary as some of the other ones because there is technically mm -hmm. an end to morphology. There aren't, in, there's not an infinite number of uh, prefixes and suffixes uh, and roots. Yeah. So I would check out Deb Glaser's Morphe Magic. It's a really nice curriculum and she just released one for primary grades. Very easy to use and I think that will just really help you. Um, and I will provide a link to that in the show notes. We're going to wrap it up because we obviously we could just talk about this for hours because there's yes. so much to know. <laughs> Can you talk to us a, a little bit more about your business and the course that you offer and anything else that um, would be helpful for people who are listening? Yeah, so I know that, so obviously my my initial signature course that I created was originally designed to help SLPs who wanted a framework for language therapy. However, I do have a lot of other people who, who check out my content and then I also have some other programs that I'm working on for the IEP team just to work together more effectively. So the, that main course that I, um, that I run is called Language Therapy Advanced Foundations. And again, I do teach a specific framework for the, the five components that I mentioned, the phonology, morphology, 
semantics, syntax, and orthography. And that is designed to give professionals a framework to use on top of a robust reading curriculum for those students who just need a little bit more. Again, originally designed for speech language pathologists, but anybody who is working on specialized language intervention is welcome to check it out, whether you're a special ed teacher or reading specialist, or you're just a teacher who wants to learn more about how you can support language. I also have a free guide for people who want to learn a little bit more about syntax and some of the strategies that I have mentioned today, like sentence combining, and also some of the sentence types that tend to cause comprehension issues. I focused on one of them today, but there's actually a couple other ones that you mm -hmm. can just be aware of. And I have a free guide that walks through what those are and just some tools for supporting them. Um, so to get that guide, that is at drkarenspeech.com backslash sentence structure. Fabulous. Well, that's amazing. I'm going to grab that for myself and um, make sure I link to all this in the show notes. That's really good to know. I'm going to start following you now more because um, because uh, the language is just so hard. And I, I've had so many people to ask for a specific comprehension assessment. And I tell them, boy, I wish there was a really good one I could tell you. But like, you know, comprehension um, depends so much on background knowledge and vocabulary. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's hard to pick the right passage for somebody that's really going to tell you. So like you said, it's, it's more just working on all these intricate parts. So yeah, yeah this, the show notes are going to be packed full. So I hope everybody will download those and, or we're head to those and get all the links that we mentioned today. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Today in the show notes, you can find a link to Karen's podcast, as well as a freebie on her website and a link to all of her products. You'll also find a link to Morphe Magic, that morphology program I recommend by Dr. Deb Glazer. And I also have a very special freebie for you, a collection of printable activities from my membership, The Measured Mom Plus, that will help you help your students with syntax. This freebie pack will help kids use particular words as either a noun or a verb. It also includes whole class syntax activities where you display a sentence and kids talk about how the parts of the sentence work together. And finally, you'll get some task cards that will help students combine sentences using conjunctions. So to get all of that, please head to the show notes at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 115. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.